For those of you who are adults or close to being adults, or even uh, mentally (laughs) children but still in an adult body, uh, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 11. We are wrapping up a series this week called The Invitation where we're looking at many of these teachings and moments in Jesus' life where he's inviting people to come and begin spending time with him. Today is our last session on this particular topic, so we'll begin something new next week. But before we launch into everything today, let's close out with our scripture for the month. Let's see how you guys have done. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. Great job. Great job. Next month, you get a new one. So, well done, you've accomplished something. On to the next hurdle. When Lisa and I first purchased our property where our current house now stands, we had an issue. Uh, The issue was the property we purchased was a cow pasture, and after we purchased it and began building our house on it, it was very dry while the house construction was going on. But as we hit fall, the rains began to come down, and we, as the rains began to come down, we noticed we had an issue. Namely, that there were numerous fields surrounding us that all seemed to be draining onto our property and across our property. So when you walked out of our walkout basement, the, the entire side of our lot quickly became a mire, a noxious swamp, and I had to do something about it. Have any of you ever had that joyous experience that is shoveling wet clay? Oh, what a wonderful enterprise that is. If you're used to doing yard work and you're used to using a shovel, uh, it's, it's not like digging normal soil. When you're digging normal soil, you, you pull up that, that clump of dirt, you throw it into the wheelbarrow, and you know, after you fill that up, you just take it on your way. With clay, clay does something interesting. It's kind of the worst of every world. It is both slippery and sticky. And, and so you're, you're sliding around on it because, you know, you're standing in it. And so your shoes are beginning to build up like extra pounds of clay. Have you had that experience? And, and so every step you take is an additional effort. But the worst part about it is it, it forms these vacuum bonds with the shovel. So you, you tip it over to put it into the wheelbarrow and it just won't come off the shovel. It's like, and so... Not only are you lifting soil that weighs like three times as much as normal soil because it's wet, but you're also doing about three or four times the amount of labor because you can't get it off the shovel. Well, we had to dig out dry creeks in the midst of like fall, early winter to try to get the property cleared. And that meant that I was out there for 10, 12 hours a day sometimes digging through clay and trying to form up this, this ravine through our property to get the water off. And let me tell you, that is no fun. That, that se- severely lacks in joy. I, it, there, there's the, the sound of the sucking mud as you're, you're pulling it out, and the smell of it, it is noxious. It was back-breaking toil, wearisome labor. It, one of those moments where, I don't know if you've ever come in from a work day where you're doing like hard physical labor, and you go to take off your shoes, and you're like, my hands don't work. Have you ever had that? 
I've had similar feelings of burden in this life without the clay. There are moments when the weight of personal failure, when the overwhelming feeling of responsibility, when my sense of personal inadequacy, when disappointment with myself, when disappointment with the world, or maybe guilt or just growing tired of the slog that is this life, when that feels like a crushing burden. Have you been there? Have you felt that? Our master has given us a prescription for this ailment of the flesh and soul. You've been memorizing it all month. Now, are you applying it? Today, we're going to do so. What are you carrying is our message for today. And we're going to look at the specific passage that we memorized for this month, which is great because you're all familiar with it. Now, we're going to become very familiar with the teaching that is in that message. And I hope that this will be one that you retain for the rest of your life. Can we, can we pray to that end before we launch today? Let's ask God. Our Lord and God, we want to ask right now that as we consider what we are carrying, the burdens that we're bearing in this life, Father, that we would see our lives clearly through your eyes, that, Lord, you would take the teaching that we've memorized and you will make use of it for your kingdom, for our mentality, and for your purposes throughout the whole rest of our lives. To that end, Father, we're asking the, the direct intervention of the Holy Spirit to teach and train us. Speak through and past the words I'm bringing in this sermon today. Speak directly to the inner man of every person that sits in this room. May we be changed forever because we have heard from you today. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to be engaging in three particular movements in today's sermon. On the first movement, here's what I want to do. I want to make you feel the burden. So don't leave after point one because you'll be really depressed. I want us to all to walk out of this place feeling, well, I want us to leave the point one feeling burdened. The second point I want to get to is I want to talk about Jesus' rest, the rest that is promised us. And thirdly, I want to talk about the new yoke that he is discussing in this passage. I'm going to ask you a question as we begin today, and I want you to answer out loud without thinking about it. All right, first thing that comes into your mind, you're going to say it out loud, everybody, okay? You ready? Here comes the question. How's it going? Fine, good, great, good. Liars. Isn't that interesting? Like, we, we get to ask this question all the time. It's just become this kind of numb greeting that we get. How you doing? And our response, even if we are in the midst, in the thick of ridiculous turmoil, most of us never go, terrible, burdened. Now, I have heard this more often since we've been in the COVID mess. I've gotten a, a lot of busy from people, but then I hear this more often than I have before, tired. Are any of you in that place? Tired. I am just worn out. This first phrase that we see in this passage, all who are weary and burdened, if you are burdened, this is what we're addressing, and I want us to all feel the burden today before we move further into this message. Have you ever watched the cartoon uh, Roadrunner? Okay, uh, for those of you who are younger, you might not be familiar with this cartoon. Let me describe the intricate, uh, dramatic plot line of this cartoon. Every single episode is Wile E. Coyote trying to catch the Roadrunner. Even as a kid, I hated this cartoon. As an adult, I loathe it. I have always rooted for the coyote. I'm like, please, just get that animal and eat it. Maybe that's not you. That's me. 
But if, you've, if you're familiar with the, the idea, it's this coyote is just every day, it's just this constant chasing, chasing, chasing. And he spends all this money to get all these Acme products that he uses to put together these elaborate ploys to catch the roadrunner. And even as a kid, I'm going, just spend your money on a chicken. Like, this, this would be so much easier. Do you feel like your life is sometimes that chase? Do you ever feel like you're just running and running and running? Some of us are tired of chasing, and I hope you start feeling it by the end of this morning. Are you tired of chasing acquisition? Getting more stuff. Hey, stuff, we love stuff. We acquire tons of stuff, and then we run out of space for our stuff, so we have to get a bigger house so we can store more stuff. How many trips to Target is enough? How many trips out to acquire more? Rich Mullins, uh, that phenomenal Christian prophet that he was, said everybody says they need just one thing, but what they really mean is they need just one thing more. And there are so many of us who live that way. It's just one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And you look at the things that you purchased 10, 20, 30 years ago that had, you had to have, and for the insightful among us, you go, and now it's garbage. Is your life constantly in pursuit of more stuff? G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite Christian thinkers, said this. He says, there's two ways to be content with life. One way is to acquire and acquire and get more and get more. And the other way is to just be happy with what you have. Desireless. Have you become disillusioned with keeping up with the Joneses? Are you tired yet of acquisition? Do the things you purchase and the things you chase to purchase do they leave you feeling empty? Are you tired of chasing security? For so many of us, every moment of every day is trying to stay safe. And I mean, if you look at the culture, this is what people are obsessed with right now. From healthy eating habits, which will not make you live forever, to wearing masks, which will not keep you healthy forever, buying insurance, security systems, acquiring wealth and surrounding yourself with it, the best medical treatments you can get, you're still going to die. It will not keep you from death. You risk death coming out to church this morning, more so than usual. It's some garbage out there today. Have you grown tired of chasing unattainable security? Have you grown tired of chasing significance? How's that hunt for your personal importance going? I want to show everybody and myself how great I am. So I win as many arguments as I can. Have you gotten tired of that? Most people never do. Are you tired of chasing the opportunity to be seen as important? Man, pride is a demanding attribute. It is a beast that just constantly has to be fed. Are you sick of it yet? How much glory is enough? There's never enough. One of the saddest stories that's played out in our culture, and it happens over and over again, is the story of the child star. You know what I'm talking about? The kids in Hollywood. And these kids are given everything early on, and they're, they're surrounded by people who are important, and people are lauding them and telling them how great they are. And then suddenly the stardom disappears or begins to disappear. And it's like the kids are forever trying to recapture a moment or a treatment that they received. And for most of them, it's just this depressing story of addiction and failure. Is that what you're chasing? Are you chasing entertainment? How much entertainment is enough? Have you reached the point where what is entertaining no longer entertains? Right? When the movie you've seen a dozen times is now no longer cool. 
and it starts to feel like monotony. Novel becomes normal, normal becomes monotonous, monotonous becomes drudgery. Have you reached that point? I don't know if, you've, uh, if, if you're like me, there's some movies, some circumstances that always make you laugh, but here's what I found. Uh, even the most entertaining movie that I've seen fails to make me entertained when I am met with the death of a close friend. That somehow there's a seriousness of life that just undercuts all that. And it's like I can't laugh and I can't, I can't think about those things as entertaining when that burden of life hits. Have you been there? Are you tired not just of chasing? Are you tired of toil? Are you tired of labor? There, there's a difference between a labor of love, by the way, and toil, isn't there? There's some things we like to do that we have to do, and then there are some things we really hate, the, the clay digging, right? Don't get me wrong. I believe human beings are all made for work. Every one of us as a human is created for labor. I believe none of us really experiences the fullness of humanity until we have labor. And I believe labor is something that will go with us into heaven, that we will have some things to apply as tasks at that stage in our lives. With that said, not all labor is equally gratifying. Some labor is a slog. Some labor is toil. Have you reached the point in life where life feels like laundry? Do you know what I mean? Life feels like laundry. And there's, I've got nothing against laundry. Doing laundry is okay. Wiping off counters is okay. Doing dishes is okay. It's normal labor. But, but like at some stage of the game, you just think, like, how much more of this do I have to do? All of life is just a cycle of toil and toil and toil. And I don't know if you've ever been here, like when you're scrubbing a pan and you've asked the question of God, like how many more pans do I have to scrub before I die? Like that, there's an actual number and God knows that, right? Repetition takes the shine away. As gratifying as your labors are in this life, I don't know many people who reach retirement and like, I can't retire, I'm not going to retire. Most people, by the time they, they've hit that phase in life, are going, I'm ready to be done with the cycle. I think the reason is typically we're just weary of doing the same things. We get tired of chasing, we get tired of toil, and are you tired of trying and failing? Have you failed in relationships? Have you failed where it's your fault, where it's someone else's fault? where circumstances beyond your control have contributed to the wreck of a relationship. It's no fun to have relationships fizzle, to fade, to fall apart, but we've all experienced that. It's worse when you're accosted by personal guilt, when you start criticizing yourself and going, should I have done something differently? Should I have done something better? Was there more that I can do? Are you tired of relationship upkeep? Relationships have to be cultivated. For those of us in the church behind the scenes, we have a phrase that we use to describe some people, EGR. Have you heard of EGR? Extra grace required. There are some people that require more upkeep than others, some people that we have to extend a little more grace to. Do you get tired of it? Are you tired of relationship strain? Are you tired of failing in relationships? Are you tired of failing when it comes to ethics? Many of us in the church are making that strong effort to be good, right? You start your day and you think, I'm going to make today a good day. I'm going to do what's right. But then by the time we hit the end of the day or the end of the week or the month, we tend to not remember our successes. Usually there are glaring failures that confront us. Isn't that true? 
And while we'd like to blame it on other people, it's a tough pill to swallow that most of those failures usually rest squarely at our own feet. Amen? The most mature Christian followers I have ever known are not impressed with themselves. I want you to think about that for a second. We all know our own sin. Even if everybody on the outside sees you and thinks that person's got it all together, if you're looking for a church full of perfect people, you're not looking for the church. The church is a place full of fatally flawed people who recognize such and need a savior. Are you tired of being a moral failure? Are you tired of not matching up to God's standards? Are you tired of sin? Are you tired of failing to do your best? How many of you hate the sound of your own voice? Anybody? I do too. I hate the sound of my own voice, which really stinks when you talk for a living. Why is that? Like, why, why would we hate the sound of our own voice? I think there's part of us that just listens to ourselves and we're like, oh, everybody must hate me. Like, I, 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 who can stand being around me? There's part of us that is hypercritical. We are our, our own greatest critics. And so when we hear ourselves saying something we say could have been better, could sound better, and there's just something despicable about what you hear when you hear yourself. We know the best that we can do. Are you honest enough with yourself that even if the world is full, that you look at yourself and you go, I know what I am offering the Lord is grossly inadequate. Are you failing to deliver for those you care about? Do you feel like you're letting people down? Anybody? Yeah. If you're a parent, do you ever beat yourself up over missed opportunities with your kids? You know, parents who've, who've had kids who are already grown up sometimes look back and, and their whole life is just filled with this guilt of just going, what could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? And sometimes that's happening even when you're in the home. You're like, what did I do wrong? Did I handle potty training the wrong way? Why, why have I failed them in this way? How could I have done things differently? And if you're kids, do you recognize sometimes that you are a running disappointment for your parents? Do you recognize when you act childishly, uh, when you're self-interested and self-serving, do you see that when you have the opportunity to repent that usually you just take the opportunity to gouge at people who love you? Do you see that in yourself? Do you ever stand in front of the mirror in the aftermath of that and go, I hate you? Are you failing yourself? Have you sabotaged yourself? Have you looked at your life and said, man, I make myself have a lot of problems? I'm constantly ushering new ones. I'm delivering them up over and over again. Are you failing spiritually? Is your commitment to God, is it fake? Are you putting on a show for others and behind the scenes, your relationship doesn't really exist? Are you terrified of what's going to happen at the day of judgment, that you will stand before the creator of this cosmos and that you will be revealed for who you really are? Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Do you feel the burden? I want you to have identified yourself in some of these things. I want you to see the, the weight that we carry. I want you to feel these burdens. Do you feel it yet? Listen, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. That's us. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. Do you want that? Listen to that phrase, I will give you rest. Will everyone just say the word rest? 
When I asked the question, how you were doing, I don't think anybody in this room said, rested. How would you like to answer it that way? How are you doing? I am full of rest. I am deeply rested. I am spiritually at ease. This is what God wants from you. Let's talk about laying down a burden. I hope that you identified yourself in the first part of this service. I hope that you said, that is something that I'm carrying. I hope you found something like that and you go, this is me. I've got a burden. I'm bearing a burden. After you've identified those burdens, those deep spiritual aches, I want you to think about what it means to lay them down, to release your muscles of that burden. In the first service, a, uh, an analogy hit me, and maybe it was an ill-advised analogy because if you were, she was here for service. Um, women are naturally gifted at holding children. They have a hip that they can rest children on, and so the weight is dispersed. Men do not have that advantage. So when men hold kids, typically your arm is just crooked at an angle for a long time. Dads, are you with me? Do you remember this? Do you remember like holding the kid for like a half an hour? And then you set that kid down and you're like, oh, oh and the tendons are just taut and your muscles are locked up because those children are burdens. See why I shouldn't have used this illustration. <laughs> what did you learn at church today? Well, children are burdens. The purpose is not to say that the child is a burden. The purpose is to say sometimes you don't think about how much you're being you know, there is a burden on you until you set it down. And this is what we're being invited to. Jesus is inviting us to set down the burden. Psalm chapter 55, verse 22. It says 50, verse 22 there, or on your, on your outlines. That wasn't me making a, sta a mistake. That was just me testing you. 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord. Release it, and he will sustain and uphold you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken, to slip, to fail, to fall. Any burden you have, anything that is bearing down on you today can be crucified or it can be carried by God. It can be crucified with the Christ. It can be done away with forever based on that. Or the Lord God of this universe can bear up that burden on your behalf. Do you believe it? Bill Dorman tells a story of a minister, and whether this is mere illustration or actual events orchestrated by the living God and an enterprising minister, I don't know, but it is a cool story. The story is of a, a preacher, a minister, and he's watching through his back window as his child, his son, is out playing in the sandbox behind their house. And the, the dad's just drinking coffee, and his son had dug down in the sandbox, and I don't know if I don't know how well you remember digging in sandboxes, but you dig so deep and suddenly you're hitting soil and clay, right? And so this kid had dug down deep enough that he had encountered a large field stone. And he decided that stone, that rock, needed to be out of his sandbox. So he began wedging and digging around it until he unearthed that field stone. And then he began trying to move it. And so inch by inch, he swiveled and he adjusted and he pivoted in order to get it up to the edge of the sandbox. His dad's watching this the whole time, just drinking coffee. And, and the boy starts trying to tip this field stone out of his sandbox. But he, you know the lip on the edge of the sandbox? He, he can't get it over that. And so he's pushing and prodding and he's trying to tip and adjust to get it over. And the dad see, is seeing this happen, senses that this is going to be a teachable moment in his son's life. And so he waits. And the kid pushes and prods and he's getting more frustrated and finally he begins crying and he kicks the stone, stubbing his toe and making things worse. He begins running to the house and as he does so, his dad heads out the back door and he meets him. 
what's wrong, son? Why are you crying? And the boy begins blubbering and trying to explain that there was this rock that he needed to move and he couldn't move it. And the dad looked at him and said, why didn't you ask me? That rock is heavy for you, but I could carry that rock and you at the same time. Why didn't you come to me? Ask me. And the boy sat there, and the dad said nothing and just stood there until the boy finally said, Daddy, will you move this rock? And he went and he picked it up and he carried it away. Do you have a father who can lift your burden? Do you? Amen and amen. I want you to know this is not a self-help program. This is not a new way of thinking about things. You cannot make this happen. You cannot lift your own burdens. You cannot have them carried away. This requires a God. And if you have no God, you're stuck with your burden. Jesus did not say, like many ministers say today, just look within yourself. You've got your own strength. You're good the way you are. This is not the message of Jesus Christ. His message is you are burdened, but he does not say, seek out your answer in yourself. He says, come to me. Come to me. If you want your burden lifted, if you want it carried away, if you want him to carry what you're dealing with right now, go to him. This is supernatural rest that transcends circumstance. I want you to know this, this is a perspective. It's a different way of looking thing, at things, but it is not merely a perspective. God, in his metaphysical reality, is altering fundamentally, eternally, who you are when we go to him. God is taking something from you, and he's replacing it. What does the scripture tell us is removed? Well, any of you who don't like yourself, good news. Your old self has been taken care of. It's done away with. You have died to self. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, or it can be translated this way, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. In other words, it's not my faith that is sustaining me. It's his faithfulness that sustains me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves and delivered himself up for me. Our old self is done away with. It's gone. What else is gone? Our sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Your sins, not just past, your sins present, your sins future, are, if you are found in Christ, are lumped up and done away with. They are gone forever. The eternal God has crucified those things. They're done. Our old self is gone. Our sins are gone. Our failures are gone. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says this, We are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. You are a conqueror. You're not a failure. You're part of the victory, the eternal victory. Winners. Amen? Our failures are gone. Our anxiety is gone. The scriptures tell us, do not be anxious about anything in Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Are you anxious about something? Are you worried? The God of this universe doesn't want you to be. 
Our old self is done away with. Our sins are done away with. Our failures are done away with. Our anxiety is done away with. Our weakness is done away with. 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of discipline. You are not weak. The God of this universe said you are powerful. You are full of love and, listen, self-discipline. If you're not seeing those things in your life, by the way, you need to spend more time with Jesus. Understand what has happened here. The hard work of religious righteousness has been done for you. It is accomplished. As Jesus said, it is finished. The weight of sin has been removed. The guilt of failure is no longer a, a situation that has a claim on your life. The God who holds tomorrow says that you belong to him and no one can take you out of his hand. When you think of, a, as a Christian, when you think of death, do you think of it as a release? Yeah? You're starting to think about it that way. If you've been in the, in, in the word and if you're a follower of Christ, often we think, yeah, Death, I mean, that is going to be ultimate freedom from sin. It will be freedom from the power of death. It will be freedom from guilt. It will be freedom from remorse. It will be freedom from your weary burdens. Friends, you don't have to wait to die. We have that today. This very moment, you are free of all those things. He has taken these burdens from you. We have it right now. We serve the Lord of the Sabbath. You know what that means, right? the Lord of rest. You serve the Lord of rest. We have rest in him. Rest for our souls. But he doesn't just give us rest. He also gives us a yoke. Let's talk about yoke. A new yoke. New yoke. That was a bad joke. That's what you do when you do it on the fly. All right. The term yoke, if you've got your Bibles with you, the term in Greek is zygos. Zygos means the same thing as scales or a balance. So when you see in Revelation chapter 6, verse 5, the, the horseman who shows up and holds a balance, that is the same term that is being used for yoke. But what is a yoke? A yoke is a harness for labor. It's a bar that's laid across the shoulders so that some burden can be moved. Typically, a yoke is used with an ox or a donkey to haul a plow or to pull a heavy load. So Jesus says to you, he says, I want your burden. You, you give me your burden. Hand it over to me. I'm going to take that from you. And now I'm going to put a different burden on you, a new yoke. I've got a new job for you. So let's think about the old toil. Some of you have been hearing what I'm saying. You're like, man, this sounds good, Ben. But tomorrow, I have to go to work again. And so, yes, I am free from this labor and I'm free from this burden, but I still have to show up to work in the morning. Don't I still have to go to work? And the answer is yes, you still have to go to work. But there's good news. You're working for a new boss now. I work for Jesus. Say it. I may be employed by the local school district, but the superintendent is no longer the height of the pecking order for me. I may be part of the United States military, but the command structure reaches higher than commander-in-chief and the White House. Amen? I might work for McDonald's, but I'm not frying burgers for some creepy clown. I'm frying burgers for the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Whatever you are doing, work at it with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to people. Because you know that you will receive your inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
Serve the Lord Christ. Who is your boss? Jesus Christ. Say it again. Who is your boss? We work for him. We have a new boss and we have a new set of priorities. The God of this universe has for you missions within missions within missions. You're not just waiting tables. You are an ambassador for the king of the universe. You're not just a student. You have been strategically placed where you are so that the Lord of armies can deploy you to accomplish his will. You're not just a mother or a father. You are part of a training. You're training a life that will endure past the mountains and past the earth. You are creating eternal works in your households. You'd feel pretty important if you uh, built the pyramids, wouldn't you? I mean, those things are impressive, and they last a long time. What you're building in your households lasts longer. Let's talk about the new yoke. I want us to think about what this looks like. We have things to do. Things to do. Jesus is not inviting you to set down your burden and do nothing. If I say rest to you, most of us think of like getting in our pajamas and plopping down on the couch and turning on some streaming service to watch movies, right? That's not the rest Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a new occupation, something new to do. We have things to do. Notice what he's inviting us to. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. How do you learn from him? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the invitation we've been talking about all month. You were invited. You were invited to spend time with him. What are you waiting for? What are you building? What do you seek? What are you carrying? Jesus is inviting us. Come to me. Come spend time with me. Learn this new yoke. Jesus' yoke will involve doing things differently than your nature dictates. You've got to stop operating by your standards and your values. You need to learn his, and there's only one way to do that. Spend time with him. Do you know the difference between your mind and his? You know you should be finding that you're wrong a lot. When you compare your words and your thoughts to Jesus, if Jesus looks just like you, you've got a problem. And it's not Jesus, it's you. Do you know the difference between your desires and his, between your directives and his? Between the world and the words of Christ, do you know the difference? The only way you will is if you come to him regularly, daily. We have things to do and we have people to see. People are the worst kind. We tend to look at people as obstacles and as difficulties. We tend to think about people as problems. But Jesus Christ invites us into a new way of conducting life. His yoke has us looking at human beings and going, potential citizen of the kingdom of God. He gives us not just any role. He gives us the role of discipleship, going to all the nations, baptizing people, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded them. And he's with us during the whole time. Does that sound familiar? What a great yoke. Now, you might hear this phrase, easy and light, and go, I've been a Christian for a while. It's not easy. It is not light. Do you, do you agree? Amen? Being a Christian is not an easy thing. Got your Bibles with you. The term that is used for easy here in the Greek is Christos. Christos. Um, the term does not just translate as easy or as comfortable. It's got a number of translations. By the way, just as an aside, Romans mistook 
the name Christos for Christ when they wrote letters back and forth a few times. So they believed these Christians worshiped some guy named Christos because they heard the word Christ and they applied it. The word Christos can mean a number of things. Listen, and I want you to think about this when you think about the yoke he places on you. It's not just easy and it's not just light and, and it's not just comfortable. It's kind. The yoke that I'm putting on you is not cruel. It is a kindness that I am giving you. It's not just kind, but the term also means better. This yoke I'm putting on you is better. Better than what? Anything else. It is better. This yoke I'm putting on you is good. This yoke I'm putting on you is useful. In other words, it's useful for me, and it is useful for you. You will find this to be valuable. This mission, this labor I'm giving you is, listen to this, full of grace. The yoke I'm putting on you is gracious. Which of those should we translate it as? All of them. The Greek word means all of that, and Jesus did not use the word by accident. This is what I'm setting on you. It is full of grace. It is a kindness to you. It is not cruel. It is useful to you. It is easy. It's better. Amen? But Christianity is hard. Rich Mullen said this, It's hard to turn the other cheek, hard to bless when others curse you. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be a man of peace. Ain't it hard? So hard. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be like Jesus. Isn't it? Christianity is not easy, but let me tell you, it is way easier than the alternative. Because the only alternative that is offered to human beings is for you to bear the full weight of your sin and guilt before the God of this universe. Which seems easier? Which seems lighter? Following Christ will cost you relationships. It will cost you personal ambitions. It's going to cost you time and energy. You might even have to help out with the little kids in a church. It will cost you comfort. And for some, it will cost you maybe even your life. But I want to say this. All of those things are nothing, less than nothing, compared to what's to come. If I asked you to help me paint this building, if I said, hey, I need your labor for the next two days, we're going to go out, we're going to pressure wash the whole facility. We're, after we're done pressure washing it, we're going to spend time painting. You might be like, oh, it's a task, it's toil. I don't want to stand on a ladder. It, this is a problem. But if in the aftermath of that, I gave you $10 million, most of you would not be like, that was rough. <laughs> right? Because the reward so far outweighs the toil and the labor and the difficulty. It's not that there wasn't labor. It's that the reward made the labor seem like nothing in retrospect. The Lord has in mind greater, better, more magnificent things than you and I could wrap our minds around right now. You might think, well, that comparison's not favorable. I mean, after all, $10 million way outweighs the labor of two days. As that, by the way, the, the, just to understand, what God is offering us is infinitely greater than that. And I can say infinitely greater than that. In just this one paradigm, it is eternal in nature. It's not bound by time, which means any reward he gives us is worth an infinite number of difficulties we will go through as finite people. Do you understand that? Jesus said to Peter, uh, in Matthew chapter 19, 
He said, nobody who has sacrificed in this life, nobody who has sacrificed in this life is going to fail to yield many times as much in, in eternity, in the time to come, the age to come. Do you believe that? Is Christianity hard? Yeah. But man, it's better. It's better than the alternatives. Man, the, the, the reward. I mean, let your mind sit there for a little bit. Christianity is hard, but here's what I want to tell you. The hardest work is already done. It's finished. Just as Jesus said, it is finished. Dealing with our sins, with our moral imperfection, with the unbearable weight that not you, nor I, nor any other human being, nor the collective of humanity could bear up, that has been carried already by Jesus Christ and done away with on the cross. It is finished. He has taken it. And I want to tell you what Watchman Nee says along these lines. Watchman Nee describes the Christian life And he says, we're fighting a battle, but we're fighting from a position of victory. He's already won. The battle is won. We are now fighting to maintain the territory he has already taken. You and I are victors. That's an easy yoke. Not only is Christianity hard, but the hardest work has been done. And I want us to know and and be keenly aware that our work is meaningful. That makes it easier, doesn't it? If, let's take the same project I talked about earlier. Let's say we were painting the church, and I said, okay, got a really important role for you. I need you to hold these two buckets of sand. And you just stood there with two buckets of sand. Eventually, you're like, I don't see anybody using sand. These are heavy. Why, are, why am I doing that? Just, it's important. Just keep going. Most of you would be like, this job is not important. Oh, well, put those down. I need you to dig a hole here so we can fill it back in. Is that labor gratifying? No, because it goes nowhere. It does nothing. This is not what God has called you to. If you are part of the kingdom of God, even if you cannot see it, when you are being faithful to him, wherever you are at, you are accomplishing eternal goals for the God of this universe. Meaningful work makes it a lot easier to bear up, doesn't it? If it's important, if you know it's important, not just important for you, but important as defined by God, that makes a difference. In counseling, for those of you who've been in counseling with me, or uh, maybe if you haven't, I, I, I will use this phrase periodically. And it seems simple, but it is, this is really rich, and it's been rich in my life. It's been rich in the lives of, I think, many people that I've tried to help out. There's nothing that feels so good as doing what's right. There's nothing that feels so good as doing what's right. And by that, let me be careful. I, I'm not saying that doing right is easy. I'm not saying doing right has results that you're going to necessarily love. What I'm saying is this, having a clear conscience before the God of this universe, where he looks at what you're doing and says, well done, you are right where I want you to be. There is no feeling like that. It is beyond anything that the human condition can even account for. We have meaningful work. The God of this universe looks at us and goes, well done, if we're doing what we're called to do. We also have work that delivers rest. Have you ever done work that's so gratifying it functions as rest for you? Maybe a hobby that you enjoy? Sometimes we talk about these things as a labor of love. Since my father's been retired, uh, every moment of every day that he can spare is spent turning wood bowls. Now, you might look at that as labor, but he loves it. He thinks about it when he's not doing it. Is your experience of Christ and Christ's work for you, the new yoke, does it feel like that? When you do the things of God, do you see, feel sort of this rest and release? 
Take his yoke upon you. Take his yoke upon you. If you are not plugged into a, a work in the church, doing something for the kingdom of God, start trying things until you find something that feels light. Something that gives you a spiritual fulfillment that says, oh, this is good. I'm about my father's work. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we'll close out on this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the great Christians of this past century. If you're not familiar with the man, get familiar with the man. He, he was a German, and uh, he was studying theology and teaching theology when Hitler was rising to power. And he left uh, Germany for a while, and he, he went to England, and he preached in churches in England, and here is this German-speaking, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy, and he comes to the United States, and he's in New York City, and as he's in New York, he starts going to these giant churches in New York, and he says, these people aren't preaching the gospel. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he starts church hopping, and you know where he lands? In Harlem. He's in an all-black church. This German-speaking, white guy, balding academic is in a church in Harlem teaching Sunday school in an all-black church. And in the era where the, the best minds in the world were being racially charged and saying that certain people need to be exterminated. He was best friends with a black man, and they traveled the country together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an advocate of Christian discipleship. He is one of the greatest voices in Christian discipleship that has ever been. But here's what you need to know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He had the chance to be safe, and he left it. He went back to Germany, knowing that he was putting his life on the line. And he paid the ultimate price going back there. He was killed by the German government. Here's what he says about this yoke. Those who follow Jesus' commandments entirely, who let Jesus' yoke rest on them without resistance, will find the burden they must bear to be light. In the gentle pressure of this yoke, they will receive the strength to walk the right path without becoming weary. Where will the call to discipleship lead those who follow it? What decisions and painful separations will it entail? We must take this question to him alone who knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us follow him, knows where this path will lead. But we know that it will be a path full of mercy beyond measure. Discipleship is a joy. Do you feel that light yoke today? Are you going to walk out of here with burdens? Or are you going to let him take it? Are you going to walk out of here with a new yoke, a new task on your shoulders? This is the question we've been asking for the past month. You've received these questions, these challenges from Jesus Christ. What are you waiting for? What are you building? What are you carrying? What do you seek? Behind all those questions is an invitation. Come to me. Follow me. Come and see. Accept the invitation today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Father, while we were yet your enemies, you loved us. While we were running, you chased us down. You have room for the prodigals, and you've called us to come and see. You've called those of us in this room who are weary, and that's all of us, to come to you. You said to hand over our burdens, that you had a new yoke for us, and, and you described rest for our souls. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I pray that we would live with that in mind, anticipating, being ready for all that is to come. We love you, our Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.